you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. Rob Clark welcoming you to the 22 November Network. Get ready for another exciting edition of the Lone Gunman Podcast featuring me. That's right, your boy Rob Clark coming at you. Stay tuned. Be right there. What is up, my people, my people, and welcome to the Lone Gunman Podcast. This is your boy, Rob Clark, coming at you for another exciting edition of the Lone Gunman Podcast, episode number 33, the Masonic episode, the Masons did it. Nah, I'm just joking with you. That's a joke. Um, The Masons didn't do it. Some of the people that did it might have been Masons, but it was not a Masonic conspiracy. And here it is, I'm recording this on Columbus Day, of all days. And since that snafu with the, the, the lost episode, I got my days all screwy now. I'm not, uh, I don't even know what day it is or what day I'm supposed to be putting it out in an episode. But you know what? Today was a good day. In the immortal words of Ice Cube, today was a good day. You know why today was a good day? Not only... Has the rain gone away and the sun come out? A lot of good things happened to your boy uh, today. Lots of good things. Uh, For one, this show, this very show, the Lone Gunman Podcast, and also Doug Campbell's excellent podcast, The Dallas Action, both were accepted by Stitcher. Okay? Now, Stitcher is uh, going to be kind of the new home for our podcast uh, from the 22 November Network because 
uh, I, I believe it provides uh, an easier an easier kind of format, an easier navigation, an easier app to use, which I would encourage everyone to do, is to go get the Stitcher app. And you can find it in the App Store on iTunes or Android. Because I've heard uh, a lot of people with iPhones or iPads or Apple products in general have pro- have been having problems getting to our podcast through Spreaker, which... That's not cool at all. So, um, the solution to that, of course, would be to eventually get the show on iTunes, ideally. Um, but as it stands right now, me and Doug do not have a computer. So, and we both have Android devices. So, it's not like we can go sign up for iTunes and uh, submit the show the right way, the way they want it done. So for now, uh, the best we can do, we're trying to get it, you know, in as many places as possible so that it's accessible to all people that want to listen. Um, but I, I'm going to highly recommend uh, getting the Stitcher app. And even if you don't get the Stitcher app, you know, it should take you right there on the browser, right to the episode. Bam. Just like that. No more wading through stuff. No more... Um, it taking you immediately to the Play Store. God damn. Forgot to turn the ringer down. Sorry about that. Um, no more taking you directly to the, uh, the Play Store. Hang on a second. Turn the shit down. Okay. Um, yeah, it should be very streamlined. It should work correctly. Um, I know before people had trouble with the uh, the Spreaker links trying to get you to go straight to the Play Store and get the app and sign up for something you maybe not didn't want to sign up for. This way, it's an option. And th- the reason I recommend it is this. Is there is a ton, and I mean a ton, of excellent podcasts and excellent radio shows on Stitcher. It is the biggest collection of pod. It has over 15,000 podcasts. And a lot of these podcasts are actual radio shows that are breaking down into segments like, you know, hour-long shows or whatever it is. Um, you know, and they feature some of the biggest shows out there if you're if you're in the kind of the truth movement or you're in poli- into politics or sports or Anything like that. I mean, it's it's huge. It's got the conspiracy show out of out of Canada on there. It's got Darkness Radio on there. It's got Red Ice Radio on there. Uh, all kinds. I mean, it's just you know, if you're into the paranormal, it's got it's just got so many shows on there. It's crazy. And I didn't have it before I, I submitted the show and signed up for it. But I'm glad I did because I've been listening all day to different shows. And it's really cool because it's it's pretty much, you're pretty much streaming everything. You don't have to sit there and download and download and download and download and clog up your memory with all this, uh, all these useless megabytes of my stupid voice talking to you. Um, but yeah, that's, that's some exciting news right there. That's a big deal. And uh, of course you can still listen to Spreaker if you like. 
you know, that's cool. However you want to do it, you know, I'm just recommending that, you know, getting your hands on that Stitcher app, even, and <laughs> it's the free app, and uh, I've noticed you will get some pop-up ads, you know, kind of like YouTube, like at the beginning of a, of a podcast, or possibly it might stop in the middle and give you uh, an uh, advertisement. But drop the money on the uh, the premium app. That way you get rid of the ads. And the good thing about Stitcher is if you'd like to support our show and and the Dallas Action Show, you know it, it's a way for us to collect a little money without actually having to ask you for it. Um, what they do is it's it's basically like YouTube where they where they share the revenue across the board. Um, and they get that revenue from advertisers or people that pay the, the, the premium subscription price, which is not much for the, for the premium app. Um, and that eliminates your ads. Or, you know, have the free app and you'll get the ads. Either way, you know, we get a little something out of it. And I don't know what it is because I ha- we haven't gotten checks yet. I assume it's not much. I'm sure it's like, you know... Like YouTube, I think you get a dollar for every thousand views. So, you know, it's not much, okay? But it's something. And I, I don't even expect to get a thousand listens on any episode. You know what I'm saying? And, and even if I do, if that's just a dollar, I mean, it's just, it's whatever. But it's better than nothing. You know, the only al- other alternative is, 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 you know, asking for donations, which we fortunately haven't had to do yet, but you know, something we can't exactly rule out in the future either, if we'd ever like to, uh, you know, upgrade the way we do a show, if, if we want to have more collaborative shows in the future, if we want to have, be able, be able to actually maybe open up the phone lines, do live shows, get guests, you know, and have it not be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, so unprofessional, you know, we want to be taken seriously as, as broadcasters, and uh, it's kind of hard to do when you don't have a computer, you don't have, you know, you know, a, a great Skype number or a conference call capability or things like that. You know, a microphone, uh, you know, a setup, a pop filter, uh, you know, the, the, a mixer. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that you need to actually sound like a professional podcaster or have a professional type show. And, of course, me and Doug have none of this, but hopefully this uh, little excursion we got on Stitcher will help. That's, you know, one reason I'm happy today. Um, So, yeah, check us out on Stitcher now, the home of, you know, podcast, period. And uh, we're happy to be there. And, uh, yes, please check us out over there. If you like our show, make sure you give us the thumbs up. There's a little thumbs up deal, you know, on there. Just hit it. It's just like a like button, just saying you like it. Make sure you add us to your favorites so you can find us easily on Spreaker on your app. Um, you know, you get turned on to other shows while you're on there too. There's lots and literally thousands of professional sounding, professionally made podcasts and shows that you have heard of before that just weren't available on Spreaker. Spreaker is mostly just people like me, unprofessionals. Or people just playing music, you know, things like that. But this this app, Stitcher, is for podcasting. 
It's for podcasters and it's for listeners. It's very easy to use. It's 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 just it's streamlined. It's great. I can't say enough good things about it. So check us out on our new home Stitcher. Secondly, a good friend of mine. I've known him for a couple years here on Facebook. Talk to him quite regularly. Um, Pat Pat Bomier. I hope I'm saying your name right. It's either Bomier or Bomier. I think it's Bomier. Has a new show on Spreaker that just came out today called Truth Glasses. And the reason it's called Truth Glasses is if you've ever seen the movie They Live and you know you see a Rowdy Roddy Piper when he puts his glasses on, it's like a five minute montage. He's looking all around the city. There's billboards that says, you know, obey or marry and reproduce or, you know, it's in every sign that there, there's a message and, you know, you can see the, uh, the fake the fake alien people or the you know whatever they are you can see them with these special glasses on and they help you see the truth and that's what Pat wants to do in his new show is help you see the truth and today his first debut episode is is about uh, Columbus Day and the the little myths behind Columbus Day and, and and cool facts that you might not have known about and about Christopher Columbus and uh, the truth behind you know the day itself so if you would like to check out pat's excellent podcast and support him on his debut effort i i put up a link on my personal page on facebook i am going to put a link to it on our 22 november page for this podcast um please check it out i know you're gonna like it because pat's an awesome guy he's very knowledgeable on a wide variety of topics you know, when it comes to, to truths and conspiracies and and cover-ups and symbology and JFK, everything. I mean, he's he's a he's a great dude, nice guy. You're going to like the show, I'm telling you. So head over, check it out, give Pat some love. Make sure you let him know that I sent you. And uh, like his podcast and share it. His debut effort is very, very excellent. Very, very good. So check him out. So you know, it's a good day in the neighborhood here at the Lone Gunman Podcast. And I'm in such a good mood. Today, we are going to talk about two potential assassins of JFK. Now, the first potential assassin that we're going to get into a little bit is named Jack Lawrence. Now, for those of you who know the Jack Lawrence story fast forward a couple minutes for those of you who don't know the jack lawrence story i'll give it to you briefly <coughs> excuse me the jack lawrence story goes a little something like this um jack lawrence enters the narrative of the kennedy assassination somewhere around mid-october which is the same time a lot of people in this narrative like to show up somewhere around mid-october and it's the same time that the next guy that i'm going to talk about as a potential assassin shows up. Okay, but right now we're talking about Jack Lawrence. Okay. Now, Jack Lawrence was an ex-military expert marksman. Sniper. Okay. Expert marksman. He would he would win contests. Okay. Now Interesting thing about Jack Lawrence is he worked at the downtown Lincoln Mercury dealership 
where there was an alleged Oswald sighting. Okay, if you remember back to uh, to when supposedly Lee Oswald went to this Lincoln Mercury dealership and test drove a car, and he took the guy out for a ride, and he was going extremely fast and driving crazy and erratic, and he basically said that he would be back because he was about to come into a large amount of money, and and things like this don't cost this much in Russia. You know, he said, you know, he told the guy that he lived in Russia. So, it's a very, you know, it's a very important little part of this narrative, and it, and it kind of ties into the next fellow I'm going to talk about. But just remember, downtown Lincoln Mercury dealership, there's an Oswald sighting. I think it's in early November. Um, you know, when he's trying to test drive a car and talking about buying it and said he'd be back or whatever. Now, Jack Lawrence had worked at the, the place, you know, a little over a month, month and a half. Never sold a car. Okay, now, I don't know what the, uh, you know, seniority or the, la the ladder is at a dealership or how things work, you know, where the most senior guys get get all the easy pickings, you know, the people that walk in and already know what they want, they would, or they know they're going to buy something, um, whereas, you know, the bottom rung salesmen actually have to work and try to sell and convince people that maybe you're just there, you know, not for sure, but either way, Jack Lords didn't sell shit, he never sold a car, and he was living at the YMCA in Dallas, which is also important. Because Lee Oswald spent some time at the YMCA, uh, supposedly around the beginning of October, and a couple other fellas also spent some time at the YMCA. Uh, William Seymour, Lawrence Howard, and Lauren Hall. And they're important if you know who they are, and if you don't know who they are by now, well, shame on you, go listen to the Dallas Action, um, or Google, anyway, back to Jack Lawrence, he's staying at the YMCA, and a couple weeks ago, I guess when I was doing my Tippet episode, I was looking at the, the call log for the Dallas Police Department, you know, the, the radio call log, and at about 3.30 or 4 o'clock that day, there was an episode that I'd never heard about before, and I'd never seen anywhere before, and I'd never seen it since, or anything further about it. There was an explosion reported at the YMCA at about 3.30 or 4 o'clock, and then nothing else is said about it. Now, why is this significant? Well, maybe, you know, if you had just shot at the President of the United States and it was time to go and leave town maybe you would want to maybe set a fire or you know erase any trace of, of where you were staying or if you had to leave things behind you know you maybe wanted to burn them up or maybe burn the whole damn place down you know and, and destroy any records thereof or, or something like that and maybe the explosion was a was an accidental byproduct of a fire 
you know, it's hard to tell. I doubt he, you know, he had a bomb in there or anything like that. But maybe, uh, you know, an oil tank or something blew up. And, uh, but it's hard to tell because we have nothing further on it. But the Jack Lawrence story is, is an odd one because what, what was reported to the FBI by his fellow co-workers at the Lincoln Mercury dealership um, were his strange actions on November 22nd, 1963. Now, he was supposed to be at work about 9 o'clock that morning, I assume. Uh, you know, I assume that's their work day, you know, 9 to 5 or whatever. It's, it is mostly that around here at car dealerships, 9 to 5, you know, typical day. And, uh, well, on this particular day, he was late. Like, not a little bit late. Like, four hours late. Okay? And it's significant because he had borrowed a demonstrator car on Thursday, the 21st, to take home with him. Which he had never done before. Um... And he shows up at the dealership, you know, at about one thirty or 2 o'clock, and covered in dirt, head to toe, muddy, wet, you know, looking like shit, and proceeds, and he's in the bathroom throwing up and splashing water on his face, and he tells this wild tale of, uh, you know, that he had stayed out late the night before and got really, really drunk. And he he had overslept, and uh, you know he's trying to get into work. He couldn't get through Dealey Plaza. That you know they had it all pretty much shut down the time he was trying to get through there. So he decided to park his car and proceed to work on foot. Now <laughs> he decided to park his car in a very interesting spot. Out of all the places in Dallas, okay, where you could park a car. Okay, he decides to park his car behind the grassy knoll fence. Now, this is uh, a little significant for a couple reasons. Because in all the footage I've seen and uh, things like that from that day, I never heard of, of traffic just being a dead stop. Um on Elm Street, trying to get to the Stemmons Freeway. You know, it was either, there. Were, you know, there was even traffic moving through there after the assassination. You know, just think back to, uh, you know, Roger Craig. Now, this is, you know, some 10, 20 minutes after the assassination. People are still going through Elm Street in their cars. Okay? Now, I'm sure there was a time, maybe maybe by a half an hour or so after the assassination, where they finally got Elm Street blocked off, and, you know, you were sent either down Houston or Maine, you know, maybe maybe you would have got hung up there one way or the other. But his story about getting caught on Elm Street just doesn't jive. And another thing that bothers me about his story is that the lot back there that he parked in was leased to the Dallas Sheriff's Office. Now, 
what stood out in my mind is 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 from uh, Brian Edwards and Casey Quillen's presentation at the conference about Ed Hoffman, the deaf mute, who says he witnessed things, you know, behind the fence line. And one of the things that he witnessed behind the fence line was a green Nash Rambler pull up to the gate there on the Elm Street extension, which was, you know, the entrance to the lot. And they got out and they had to unlock the gate with a key and open the gate and proceed in. Now, I don't know if this is the only way in or out of that parking lot, but unless Jack Lawrence had a key... I don't think he could have gotten in that lot, especially after the assassination. You know, that place was crawling with cops and, and everybody else, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. You know, I don't think they were letting people leave, and I don't think they were letting people in. So right there tells you is a big red flag about his story. Um, you know, he kind of drifts into town at about that time. You know, about mid-October. And then this weird episode happens at the dealership, okay? And he, he said that he remembered, uh, you know, one of the guys saying, Hey, I remember that guy, Lee Oswald. You know, go get me his paperwork. And he recommended that they call the FBI and call it in and say, Hey, you know, this guy was in here, you know, just driving a car. And he's like, Nah, it's not important, you know, let it go. But anyway, shortly after he, he arrived there on foot without his car, um, he was called into the manager's office and given his last paycheck and, and said that, uh, you know, it's time they parted ways. You know, we can't have you showing up this late for work. You know, we can't trust you with our vehicles. You haven't sold anything. It's just, it's time to uh, part ways. And, you know, he proceeds to mosey his way on out of town and for an ex military expert marksman slash sniper um you know to be drifting in and out of town like this and in these mysterious occupations because apparently this place had a high turnover like the I think for the month of November, they they had hired and let go like nine other people, nine salesmen, which, you know, is, is odd. You know, I don't know about the turnover rate in the car sale business, but to me, that seems a little high. But, you know, whatever is whatever. So there we have one, you know, ex-military, expert marksman sniper, drifting into the narrative, and getting the hell out as soon as it's over. Now, I should also add this caveat that supposedly, okay, he denies this version of events, which of course he is, if he is a sniper or an assassin, of course he's going to deny this version of events ever happened. And I think that he was caught up with in the early 90s and he turned up to be a pastor or something at some church in West Virginia. Which, you know, okay, he's a pastor now, but he, you know, he wasn't always a pastor. And maybe he was turned to that life after what he did. Or, you know, I could see that. 
you know, if a man did something that bad, you know, the only the only place to turn if it was bothering him that much is to turn to God and ask for forgiveness and then, you know, basically preach for the rest of his life about God. So, does it make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Does that mean he's being honest now? No, you know, but he denies that whole version of events of him leaving the car behind the, the grassy knoll and, um, you know, him showing up all dirty and, and sickly and all that. He denies all that, just for the official record there. Now, moving on to a, another assassin, possible assassin, uh, sniper. We get to the strange tale of Larry Crayford. And I'm not sure exactly how you say his name, but I'm going to say it, Crayford. Larry Curtis Laverne Crayford is his full name. People call him Larry. Now, Larry drifts into the narrative, shocker, about mid-October, uh, where he supposedly meets uh, Jack Ruby at uh, some kind of a carnival or something that was coming through town there in Dallas. And uh, Ruby asked him to come work for him, you know, be his little... Be his little boy Friday, his, his jack of all trades, his handyman, his bartender, his, uh, you know, little bitch boy, whatever he was. He was, uh, just whatever Jack Ruby asked of him, this guy did, you know. Um, bartender, bouncer, whatever, this guy did it all. And so this guy left the carnival life and, and, uh, he had, he had met, well, the reason he was in Texas is he had followed a woman there and, and married her, but it, it didn't work out. So he was, uh, you know, just traveling around with the carnival or whatever, and uh, it was still based in Dallas there at that time. And he was local, and, you know, this is supposedly where Jack Ruby met him, okay? Now, something about the timeline doesn't jive, according to uh, when you hear Ruby tell the story. Or when you hear George Senator tell the story, or when you hear Larry Crayford tells the story. But that's for another day. Now, the important thing about Larry Crayford is that he looked a hell of a lot like Lee Oswald, okay? As did Jack Lawrence, okay? Now, I believe. Oh, Larry looked a little bit more like Oswald than Jack Lawrence did. But Jack Lawrence was a young man, about the same age. You know, short, dark hair, clean-shaven, you know. At a glance, could be taken for Lee Oswald, you know what I'm saying? But Larry might have survived a more closer inspection. Uh, so much so that I've been reading Joachim Jostin's book, Oswald, colon, The Truth. And Joaquin Jostin is an interesting character. He he's a he's an early early uh, I won't even call him a, a critic because he had shit out before the Warren report even came out. Four months before the Warren com uh, Commission findings came out, he had a book out called Oswald Assassin or Fall Guy, and it's chock full of info. He must have had an inside source somewhere. In the, in the police department or, or in the FBI or something because he, he knew all kinds of stuff and this is before the Warren Commission had even came out with their report okay and he's the author of at least four or five books you know about the assassination he was big in the 60s Joachim Jostin 
And anyway, in his book, The Truth, Oswald, The Truth, he takes a hard look at old Larry. And he believes that it was Larry Crayford who was doing a lot of the Oswald impersonating. Now, Jostin believes that it was uh, Larry Crayford who, who was actually overheard talking to uh, Jack Ruby about uh, assassinating Governor Connolly from the uh, the famous Carol Jarnigan uh, conversation that was supposedly overheard by him. He was a, a Dallas attorney at the time that claims that he had overheard a conversation in the Carousel Club between a Ruby between Jack Ruby and H.L. Lee, somebody calling themselves H.L. Lee, and that they were talking about assassinating Governor Connolly. Supposedly because, uh, you know, Jack Ruby was upset that he, he wouldn't parole a bunch of, uh, you know, bad guys or mobsters, and he wasn't going along with the program. You know, he wasn't helping things out in Dallas or Texas, for that matter. wasn't making it organized crime-friendly. And uh, I guess he viewed Connolly as an enemy of, uh, you know, stuff that he was doing. But Jostin seems to think that it was actually Larry Crayford and not Oswald. He also thinks it was Larry Crayford that was seen in the, the downtown Lincoln Mercury dealership, not Oswald. He also thinks it was Larry Crayford as a shooting range and not Oswald. Uh, he also thinks uh, it was uh, Larry Crayford in the B&B, the Lucas B&B, at 2.30 in the morning the night before the assassination and not Lee Oswald in there meeting with Jack Ruby. Um, and he goes through his book and he, you know, he details all this stuff. And the odd thing about Larry Crayford, <clears throat> and this has always troubled me with him, is he was from Michigan. He somehow made his way to Oregon and California before, you know, joining the, this traveling carnival or whatnot and then making his way to Dallas, you know, entering the narrative. You know, somehow by chance or miracle meeting up with Jack Ruby and, uh, you know, becoming his guy. And then the day after the assassination, Larry Crayford is, is bouncing He's like, he takes up some money out of the, the carousel clothes register, and he's like, I'm out. Peace, bitches. Okay? Now, this is before Ruby shoots Oswald. It's after the assassination. It's Saturday morning. After, you know, Jack Ruby had exhibited a little strange behavior by grabbing Larry Crayford and, and George Senator and taking them out on this what he called, you know, like a wild goose chase to take pictures of the uh, impeach Earl Warren signs, which he thought was a clue because the P.O. boxes on that sign and the one on the advertisement for, you know, Kennedy wanted for treason posters were, were, were very close and similar. He thought he was on to something. Now, what that whole episode means, I have no idea because, you know, I think Jack Ruby knew what the hell was going on. I think he was into it up to his nutsack. So, I don't know what he was doing there. You know, maybe going frantic. But, here's what I think happened. I think somehow, uh, J.D. Tippett rolled up on Larry Crayford. 
and I think Crayford was a shooter. And you you got to remember this is, you know, half an hour after the shooting, so he's probably amped up, freaked out, scared shitless. You know, JD Tipper rolls up on him and he panics. I don't know if he knew him or not or or whatever, you know. But this is four blocks from Ruby's house. He panics. Tippett gets shot. <clears throat> He's running away, you know, emptying his gun. Poor, stupid, dumb cop, you know, whatever. He takes the jacket off, throws it somewhere. And then, supposedly, you know, he's freaked out and makes his way to the Texas theater. Now, where it gets real interesting is that the jacket that the Oswald assassin ditched, okay, was like a, a, a white Eisenhower-type waist jacket which Crayford was known to wear. In fact, I have a picture of him wearing one quite similar that I'll post up on the website. You can go check out. And when they checked the jacket, you know, Marina said, you know, that's not Lee's. He never had a jacket like that. And the jacket had uh, dry cleaning tags in it from California. Now... Putting two, 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 two and two together here, Sherlock Holmes style. Who else do we know that we knew spent time in California? <clears throat> excuse me. Knew spent time in California. Wore jackets uh, very similar to what was found. And had acquaintances with Jack Ruby. You know, that being that close to his apartment. Um, Larry Crayford. Okay. Now... I, I suspect that the early morning meeting between George Senator Larry Crayford and Jack Ruby was not out taking pictures of Earl Warren signs. I imagine it was it involved a lot of Larry Crayford freaking out, uh, Jack Ruby freaking out, and George Senator trying to figure out what the hell was going on, or being there to placate Ruby. Um, whatever happened at that meeting, okay, you're looking at six hours later, Crayford's got his hand in the cookie jar, taking money, and hitchhiking his way out of town. Like, he don't even wait for a ride. He's, he's hitchhiking out of town. Now, the FBI, you know, catches up to him, and he gives him the, the, uh, sanitized version, his version of events. And how he came to meet Ruby and what he what he was doing uh, for Ruby. And very interesting. Something else that I ran across. About uh, Larry Crayford. And it's from um, Gaten Fonzie, of all people. In his speech... Um, when he was presented the uh, Lancer Pioneer Award, the Mary Fair Lancer Pioneer Award, back in 1998. And I'm going to read it to you right now. Is there any doubt that the Warren Commission deliberately set out not to tell the American people the truth? There is a brief glimpse, an illustration of the level at which that deceit was carried out in an incident that occurred during the Warren Commission's investigation. One of many. Commission Chairman Earl Warren himself, a rarity, with then-Representative Gerald Ford at his side, 
was interviewing a barman, Curtis Laverne Crayford. Crayford had worked at Jack Ruby's Carousel Club before he was seized by FBI men as he was hightailing it out of town the day after the assassination. Having told someone, they are not going to pin this on me. Okay, so he was paranoid. He was freaking out. And he must have had a good reason to. Okay. And in the interview, Earl Warren asked Crayford what he did before he was a bartender. Now, I want you to listen closely to his answer. I was a master sniper in the Marine Corps, sir, Crayford answered. Let that sink in for a minute, people. I was a master sniper in the Marine Corps, Crayford answered. Now, the very next question that Earl Warren asked him, instead of following up on that very damning statement of I was a master sniper in the Marine Corps, was what kind of entertainment did they have at the club? Now, come on, man. You can't tell me the Warren Commission was not interested in finding out what the hell happened. Okay? For one, he had just, the man just told you he was a master sniper in the Marine Corps showing up at, at, at just the right time to be in town for all this stuff and getting the hell out of town the day after. And you ask him what kind of entertainment did they have at a titty club. Okay? They had strippers. They had music, and they had dancing, and they had comics, and a whole lot of titties, okay? Now, that just illustrates, you know, what, what the Warren Commission was all about. They weren't interested in finding the truth. They didn't want to find the participants or the actors. They were interested in pinning this on Rube, or Oswald, and... Obfuscating the truth was as much lies and bullshit and meaningless facts as they possibly could throw at you. Okay, they put this in an 800 and some page book. They put it in a 26 volume appendices and buried it in a mountain of useless information. Okay, so here we have an expert marksman. Here we have a master sniper, both ex-military. Both in Dallas at the exact same time, at the exact same place, being around the narrative of the assassination. Now, I'm no dummy, but it sure as hell sounds suspicious to me. Anyway, that is it for this episode number 33 of The Lone Gunman. This some bitches in the can, up to the satellite, down to your ears. Rob Clark is out.
You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.